Let's go to 1 Samuel, just right at the beginning, chapter 1. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Been sharing a lot with you on the, the secret of David. And uh, man, how many of you got to be here last week for Dr. Phil Brassfield sharing David and Goliath? Isn't that awesome? Amen. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so glad it just kind of, the anointed, it just kind of fit in. We've been teaching on David and teaching on the travels uh, and the significance of the Ark of the Covenant. So I want to continue uh, in that understanding uh, of the Ark of the Covenant and the secret of David. You know, we opened up and we said right from the beginning, the Bible tells us in Acts 13, 22, David was a man after mine own heart because he will do everything I want him to do. You know, Dr. Bradfield brought that out. Uh, uh, David had a willing heart um, as the, the prophet Samuel was choosing the next king. He said he had rejected Saul. God had rejected their first king, Saul, and said, I'm, I want a man after my heart who will do my will. Then ultimately, I showed you the will, what is God's will, where the secret of David came out. He wanted to do the will of God, and because he spent time with God, remember David, even as a young shepherd board, uh, taking care of those flocks, would be writing the Psalms and playing the harp and singing to God and spending time intimately with the Savior and the creator of the world. Amen? So he spent time and he knew the heart of God. And I told you, the secret of David being willing to do the will in God's will is to dwell with us. So ultimately, in the big picture, you know, the presence of God, that symbol is the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, when God, you know, gave the law and he told Moses, hey, build this ark. And he said, uh, there between the cherubim on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. That's where my presence is going to meet with the people. And so they set up that tabernacle in the wilderness. And that tabernacle, it was made out just according to the pattern that God showed Moses. And they set up everything exactly like it was supposed to be. And in the inner room of that tabernacle, the Holy of Holies was placed one item, the Ark of the Covenant. We shared a little bit about how the ark was built. And we shared that inside the ark went three items. Okay? And we're going to talk a little bit about that. I want you to see it and, and understand all of these things are types and shadows pointing to a deeper revelation of new covenant grace. So there the presence of God would fill the tabernacle. And there between the cherubim, God's presence was so thick that they could actually, all the tribes of Israel, two million people in the wilderness, they would set up that tent first, the tabernacle. They would set it up and exactly like God had it. Then the, um, the Ark of the Covenant was placed in its place. There's a thick veil where no one can go in. But man, the glory cloud would just be there above the Ark and the fire by night. And whenever that cloud lifted, they knew it was time to move on. They might camp in a place during those 40 years for a year or longer. They might camp for a few months. But they followed God's presence and his presence was on the Ark. Amen. 
That's where he met. His glory was there. Moses would go behind the veil, meet with God, and come out. And the glory of God would be shining on his face. So much he had to cover his face because the glory was shining so bright. But that glow was fading. But the glow now doesn't fade. The glory of God now rises on you. And it doesn't fade. It gets brighter and brighter. As we meet together, as we grow in the Lord, as we sharpen one another with the word, the glory is growing brighter in the church today than ever before. Brighter than it was in the Old Testament at the tabernacle. The glory is increasing, not fading. Hallelujah. I want you to, to see that and understand that too. The glory of the latter house, this house today, is far greater than the glory in Solomon's day. Even though they physically saw it with their eyes, we know it from our heart, the presence of God. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So here, praise God, I just want to take you through the story in Samuel. In 1 Samuel, it talks about the birth of Samuel and Hannah dedicating Samuel to the Lord. Samuel growing up with the priest Eli. Uh, and there he's growing up. And man, there, the God, God calls Samuel from an from a early age. But turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and look at verse 12. I'm going to go through some of this and let you see it in the Word. The Bible says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priest... And the people, whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, and while the meat was being boiled, a servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites that came to Shiloh. Now, folks, they had wandered in the wilderness um, for 40 years now they had crossed over the Jordan River, and now they're in the Promised Land. And um, Jerusalem's not the big thing yet. Jerusalem's a city, a small city, with the Jeb Jebusites there. It hasn't been conquered yet. It's not even David's city yet. It's not the city of David. It's, Jerusalem's not conquered yet. So they take the tent, the tabernacle that had been with them for 40 years, and they set it up at a place called Shiloh. All right? And now they're going and they're, they're conquering all the different lands we see from the book of Judges. So here, and uh, they're bringing the offerings, uh, and they bring it to the, the tabernacle. But even, verse 15, even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give me some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat. So before they could even boil it and for the sacrifice, the priest would take it. If the man said, let, him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want. They would say, no, hand it over. We'll take it by force. Now watch this. This is the part I wanted to show you in this paragraph. Verse 17. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. Why? For they were treating the Lord's offering with content. Okay. So this was a, a very great problem in the Lord's sight that the offering that was coming in the meat offering, they, see, they would, they would offer these things and, and shed the blood and give the offering to the house of the Lord. And all of this offering in total, in a general sense, they had to offer for the sins of the people. 
And as they're bringing this offering, it was being treated with content, contempt. It was against God. They, they weren't respecting it as holy. They were disrespecting it. And this was the, the priest, the high priest Eli, his sons, who were supposed to take over the priesthood. The whole priesthood was going to be from the sons of Levi, the Levitical priesthood. And some of them were called to be the high priest to serve in the temple. And here's the priest Eli and his sons. And not only were they were doing that, uh, but, you know, the Bible says they were also, verse 22, now Eli was very old and he heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why are you doing such, such things? We hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it's not a good report. You know, so, so Eli knew of it. Now Samuel's called of God and he's growing as the prophet. In this priesthood, Eli and his sons, wicked, disregarding the offering of the Lord. Well, let me just, as I was reading that, let me just give you a, a general sense. When they were showing content, contempt for the offering of the Lord, disregarding it and not treating it as holy, ultimately the offering of God for the sins of the people is Christ. That's why God's upset with this, them disregarding his pattern, his type, his shadow of what they were commanded to do to bring the offering, to bring the lamb, to bring the goats, to bring the bulls, to bring the meat, to bring the offering to the house of the Lord, that there might be meat in my house, that we might spread the name of Jesus Christ around the whole world. And they were disregarding it as something not special or holy. Really in that, they were disregarding Jesus. And God was angry at that. Treating him as an unholy thing. Now Christ hadn't come yet to pay the ultimate sacrifice for Eli's son's wickedness. They were under the law. So they needed to die. And God had it on his heart from then on to kill them. They disregarded Christ, the word of the Lord. They disregarded the sacrifice coming to the temple. They disregarded all of that. So much so that they didn't care about it at the holy place of the temple. Before the very presence of God, they were committing wicked fornication with the women at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. And they disregarded their father's rebuke about it and continued in it. And yet, here they're supposed to be the protectors, the ones ministering between the God and the people. See, the priests ministered between God and the people. The prophets spoke the word of God to the people. The priests stood between the people and God and brought the offerings to him. Praise God, now, hallelujah, in Christ, we're both prophets, priests, and kings. A holy nation. But here, there was such disregard for the offering of the Lord that God had decided, hey, this won't last. Chapter 3 talks about the call of Samuel. The Bible says the boy Samuel 3.1 ministered before the Lord in, under Eli. In those days, the word, the word of the Lord was rare and there were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming weak, 
so that they could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. See, Eli representing the priesthood, his, very, his eyes were dim. He couldn't see. He couldn't clearly hear the voice of God. And God was calling this young boy, Samuel, and began to speak to him and said, hey, not one of your words is going to fall to the ground. You're going you're gonna to see clearly. You're going to hear clearly. You're going to tell the people what I'm saying because Eli and his sons can't do it. They treat me with dishonor. They don't care enough about me to serve or honor me. And, and so, so I'm going to use you and grow up. So Samuel grew up to be the prophet of the Lord. Amen. And then Samuel, praise God. So here's what happens. Let's pick up the story in chapter 4 because we're going to talk about the travels of the ark. Chapter 4, verse 1. Everybody with me? Y'all bring your Bibles. You can follow along. If you don't, you have your phone. Turn to that page so you can see it. Okay, I want to encourage you to come in here. Always bring your word or bring something you can read along with me so we can study it together. Now, the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and the battle spread, and Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 soldiers. And they returned to the camp. The elders asked, why did the Lord bring defeat upon us with the Philistines? They're wondering, said, everywhere we've been, we saw God split the Red Sea. Our, 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 um, our grandfathers and forefathers saw that. We saw what happened. We saw God's mighty hand. We came into uh, across the Jordan. We saw the walls of Jericho fall down. We saw every city we attacked. God has been with us and we've won. Why are we losing this battle? Folks, their heart was, they were going through the motions of religion still bringing the, the offering to the temple. The, treat, the priests were treating it with content. They were, um, you know, uh, of committing fornication right out there. They're, they're, they had a form of godliness going through the motions, but their heart was way against God. Hey, God's not in that. This isn't some religious game we're playing. This is a, the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, who knows your very heart. He knows the, in, the inside and motivations of your heart. The word cuts and divides and lays you open. So, man, you, you, he knows us. And yet there's all this sin going on. And now they're saying, hey, why are we defeated? We need, we need God. Let's go get the ark. Listen what they say. Why did the Lord bring defeat? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of the enemies. Verse 4. So the people went, sent men to Shiloh, and they brought the ark of the covenant, the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They were with the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout, and the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? Now the Philistines just whipped them. But here comes the ark. They send people to Shiloh. They go talk to Eli, Eli's son. They get the ark, and they bring it down to the battlefield. They're thinking, hey, we need God to move mightily. Let's go get this thing, okay, representing our God. Let's go get this and see that we can't win. Let's go get the presence of God. Only, you know, it's like, it's like folks being far from him 
and then calling on him in a, in a prayer and say, you know, God, do this for me. I don't know you. I don't want to follow you. I don't care about you. But I, I just need you to whip this battle for me, you know. And then we'll, we'll go put you back in your place, okay? I don't really care about you. I don't want to follow you. I don't, I don't regard the offering as something special. I don't, I don't see it as that. I just, I, just, I just want to call on you every now and then. So they, they go get it, you know, and they're treating him with disregard. But yet it comes in and, and all the Israels begin to shout, oh, now we're going to win. The Philistines hear it. And they say, what's going on down at, the, down at the Israelite camp? When they learned the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? Now, God's fame had spread over these last few hundred years. They heard about what he did in Egypt. All the different peoples of, uh, of the promised land had heard about it. They were afraid of him. These are the gods that struck the Egyptians with all kind of plagues. And then they kind of pulled themselves together. Let's be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. Why don't you just, we don't just read past that. Let it sink in. 30,000 men died that day. Their wives, children, always used to them winning everything because God was with them. And now they're being killed. The Bible says the next line, verse 11, and the ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. The next line of the priesthood died. The presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, that was the centerpiece of their religion all these years, that's where the, they followed the presence of God, the glory of God, they saw it, and now it's captured by this Philistine army? Talk about devastating to their hearts their souls, everything they believed and thought, now it's gone and the ark is captured. That same day, verse 12, a Benjamite ran from the battle line, went to Shiloh, his clothes torn and dust on his head, a sign of repentance. When he arrived there, Eli was sitting on his chair by the side of the road watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. Eli knew, man, this ain't right. Something's not going on right here. When the man entered the town and told him what happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, what's the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes were set that he couldn't see. He told Eli, I've just come from the battle line. I fled. Eli said, what happened? Verse 17. The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines. And the army has suffered heavy losses, and your two sons are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of her delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she went to, into labor. Oh, oh, excuse me, let me back up. I missed verse 18. 
When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and heavy. He had led Israel for 40 years. Here's the high priest sitting. The ark of God under his care has gone to the battle. You know, they lost the battle. His, Eli's sons are dead. The ark's been captured. Eli hears it. He falls backward and dies, his neck broken. The priest. Here goes the priesthood. You know, here goes, here's the ark of God. Samuel, the young prophet, is coming up to be able to declare the word of the Lord. And he, and he dies. And this woman, one of those sons' wives, was pregnant, about to give birth. Man, when she hears her father-in-law, Eli's dead, her husband's dead, she gives birth and she dies and says, she names the baby Ichabod. It means no glory. She names the child. See, it symbolizes this child is Ichabod. There is no more glory here in the house of Israel. And she goes ahead and dies too. The ark is captured. So here, the ark of the covenant, the presence of the living God who created everything, who delivered Israel out of Egypt, who brought them into the promised land, who blessed them to conquer all of the different cities of the promised land, is going now, they're defeated by the Philistines. They, they disregarded the one who delivered them. They started to disrespect, not care, you know, no glory, treat it, and the, the next generation comes up, and then the next, with no regard for the Lord. And yet they just want to use his name in vain. Say his name, but not mean anything with it. Bring him into the battle, but not under the right heart with believing in him or wanting to follow him. It's like, you know, just, just quoting a, a scripture or two or, or calling on him, saying this, but you, your heart is far from him. Just deliver me again from this jail cell. But when I get out, I'm going to do my own thing. You know, I'm going to stay in this sin, but I'm going to, you know, pray for the battle in my family. You know, ask you to I'll just quote us something as though I can just use you when I want. God had no respect for that. He said, okay, you don't care about my presence. And he let his presence go from them. And now there's no glory in the house. No glory. Wow. The glory had departed from Israel. The ark of God had been captured. Wow. Chapter 5. After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. They took it to one of their cities. Then they carried the ark to Dagon's temple. And they set it up besides Dagon. When the people of, now Dagon was a god, it was a, a statue of what they believed, a uh, head of a man, arms, body, and in the, in the, in the hind part like a fish. You know, they were close to the sea and they worshipped this god. And uh, they had a temple to it and it was set up. And now they said, hey, we won this battle and look, we, we captured their god. Now we got Israelites' god. Well, let's go just set him up beside our god and we'll have two. And they put him in the temple next to Dagon. 
They say, man, you know, that God was real strong for them at one time. I don't know what happened for him here, you know. He didn't come through for them, but maybe he'll come through for us. And they took him and they say, we'll set up this God next to our God. And they put him in the temple right there. The Bible says, verse 3, when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Huh. That, that God stood, was standing up there, the ark of the covenant next to it. Bam. That God fell down, face down, bowing to the ark. Isn't that something? They, uh, they wonder what happened. They put Dagon and put him back in its place. Verse 4. But the following morning when they arose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and his hands had been broken off and they were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day neither the priests of Dagon nor others who enter Dagon's temple would step on the threshold. You know, we don't repeat that tradition that you don't step on a threshold because you might break your mother's back or something like that. Don't, don't, don't follow that, John. Okay? You know, so praise the Lord. So there, now this time they set it up again. They go the next morning, and there God's fallen over again. This time when it's fallen over, its head's cut off, its hands are cut off, laying on the threshold. And they're starting to wonder, what have we done here bringing in this Israelite God into our camp? And now the Bible says the Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashdod in its vicinity, he brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumors. When the men of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, The ark of God, of the God of Israel, must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy upon us and upon Dagon our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, What are we going to do with the ark of God of Israel? They answered, Have the, God, have the ark of Israel moved to Gath. So they moved it to another city. Now, folks, I want you to just continue following this story, reading in chapter 5 and chapter 6. We're going to continue following the, um, the journey of the ark. Okay, in chapter uh, 5, it goes on to another city and another. Let's go ahead and finish that part. Verse 9, but after they moved it, to, the Lord's hand was against that city throwing it into a great panic. He afflicted the people of that city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. So they sent the ark to Ekron. As the ark was entering Ekron, the people cried out, They've brought the ark of God of Israel unto us to kill us too. So the people called together the rulers of the Philistines and said, Send the ark of God of Israel away. Let it go back to its place or it will kill us and its people, for the death had filled the city. Folks, they were afflicted with uh, 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 tumors. There was rats running around the city. It was like a plague in the city. People were dying. Here they had, they had um, the Ark of the Covenant symbolizing the presence of God, whom they didn't worship in their house, in their camp. And folks, it wasn't going well for them. You see, listen, um, we have the presence of God in, in us because we have, as I'm closing, we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Our sin and our sin nature has been forgiven and dealt with, making us clean by our faith. 
No matter what you've done, no matter what it is in the past, when you give in your faith to Christ and you receive him, his blood has cleansed us once and for all, cleansing us that the presence of God can dwell in us. And he will lead us and guide us to know him in a deeper way that we can call on him, walk with him, and talk with him. But don't think that the world out there that disregards God, that haven't been cleansed by faith in Jesus Christ, can call on God for this or that and use him for, their, uh, for whatever they want and disregard who he really is. There is, a, there is a, a separation going on. There's a division in the land. The word of God's going out and drawing people to him. And at the same time, the world is growing farther and farther and disregarding God and treating him uh, uh, as an unholy thing. And, you know, it, it's getting where there's a division in the land. We've got to do everything we can to call on people and show them the truth of God, that they might be cleansed, that God almost might dwell in them also. If you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, by your faith, and you can know the presence of God that was on that ark, that was with the people, can dwell inside of you and loves you and cares about you and wants you to lead you and guides you into all of his truth. Amen? But let's don't treat it as a light thing, as an unholy thing. Let's don't treat it and disregard it as something, well, you know, he got me out of jail and I got off of drugs. Now I don't need him anymore. I'll just put him back on a shelf somewhere. You know, he's holy. He's righteous. He saved you. He's loved you. Let's recognize the, the sacrifice that he made, given his blood, dying on the cross as a precious and holy, something we never forget and never take lightly. And, and we, we're thankful so much that we want to honor him and follow him in our daily life. Amen? Continue um, reading. We will, uh, we will pick up this story next week. And what I'm getting to, praise God, is this arc. It's starting to the journey back, chapter 6. And then we'll get into David um, bringing that ark finally to its resting place where David had a heart to do God's will, to bring the presence of God to the midst of the people in Jerusalem. Amen. So as we study the ark and its travels and what's in its contents and what that means, you know, folks, when God gave the law, it was a contractual agreement that each side had a part if you obey this i will bless you and if you don't you will suffer the judgments of this contract the penalty of it and you know so they they said yes we'll do it but they couldn't and they never did and the judgment always fell and trouble always happened because of that problem inside then jesus the one that the ark is pointing to became the ultimate sacrifice and he died for us that we can enter praise the lord in the presence of god and live with him and he, and he with us amen let's study it let's continue i encourage you if you haven't already to get involved in one of our classes for the children and all the way up 